I don't understand. Please tell me more. I don't know what this voice is, but we're going with it. I don't know what this voice is either. (laughs) Hey, y'all, this is Trudy. Hello, friends. This is Louisa, better known as Weez. And you're listening to That's Not How That Works. This show is about diversity, inclusion, and equity and how these things show up or don't in the coaching and personal development industry and our broader communities. So if you like what you hear, join us in our Facebook group to continue the conversation. Enjoy the show. Hey, y'all. Hello, friends. What's up? Welcome to this episode of That's Not How That Works. How you doing, Weez? I just want to know, let you know that I'm going to be very distracted because now all I'm doing is singing 90s theme cartoon theme songs in my head. <laughs> I apologize in advance. I'm doing wonderfully. <laughs> I guess so. If you're singing, singing Doug theme songs of children, yeah, cartoons. Sometimes you got to reconnect. Yeah. I Great. Guess. How are you? Not so bad. It's been raining here so much. It feels like it's. Portland or Seattle. Like it's a little, it's a little depressing, but today is a beautiful day. Good. So I'm feeling good. Well, y'all in Portland, Seattle switched weather then. Well, they just came out of their heat wave. That's right. Record breaking, hottest it's ever been recorded in the month of June. Yeah. Well, also ever, I'm, you know, I'm a nerd. So apparently, there's something called the heat dome and we have only seen it like you only see it every once every like thousand years and then like that's what was happening in the pacific northwest so yep if anyone was curious as to why it was so hot there was a heat dome but that's not what we're here to talk about (laughs) that is not what we're here to talk about i'll just be knowing random shit last week on the show we let y'all know that we would be you know kind of pivoting a little bit what we're talking about and really we're wanting to explore and dig in a little bit more to the anti-racism like work itself Mm -hmm. and you know critiquing the work and thinking about the work in more of a like meta sense like really kind of thinking about this work because here we are like years now into this not just this podcast, but into our practice of being DEI and anti-racist educators and practitioners. And when you've done the work, as long as we have been, you see how things shift like over time. And it's mm-hmm. good to take opportunities to reflect back at how things are have shifted, are shifting, where things are going, what we can learn, what some best practices are. So that's that's how we're spending our time this season. And today, what are we talking about today? <laughs> so I think it's important for us because we've kind of um, throughout our nearly 100 episodes that we've done, talked about this or talked around it in a lot of different ways. But we're really, really concisely going to talk about what does, quote unquote, the work, what does this work of anti-racism and anti-oppression actually look like and also right now too in right now right now in 2021 right in the summer of 2021 because as you just said and as we know right as social scientists 
society changes and evolves. And when society changes and evolves, practices and procedures and frameworks and contexts have to evolve with it. So this is applicable to where we're at right now. Um, I say that because I feel like in another year when we have to like update this, people are going to be like, but last year you said. So that's like our like disclaimer asterisks of like, please remember that this is an evolution. This is an evolution. And that's literally how it works. Like if your teachers are teaching you the same thing this year that they taught you three years ago, you need a new teacher. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because that means that they are actually not practitioners Mm -hmm. and that they are not involved in, in the evolution of the work, but that they've learned something at one point in time and they are reteaching it and they are not engaged in the ongoing practice. Practice. Yeah. So That is actually a sign of good teaching. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we're going to talk about what it actually is and also, you know, a little reminder on what it's not. Let's start there. Let's start. Yeah. Let's start with what it's not. So why don't you kick us off? What is, what is the work of anti-racism not in our day-to-day lives? So I'm going to, I'm going to kick us off with the thing that I have been saying for at least 18 months. Uh, more than that, because I feel like one of our very first episodes, we were like, y'all, no. Yeah. The work does not happen on Instagram. One more time, please. For folks in the back. The work <laughs> does not happen on Instagram. But Trudy, I learned so much on Instagram. But learning is not working. <laughs> But Trudy, I post and I repost and I argue with people on the internet all the time. (laughs) I know you do. And that's the problem. (laughs) I don't understand. Please tell me more. I don't know what this voice is, but we're going with it. I don't know what this voice is either. So let's, so just to break this down. Yes. The work does not happen on Instagram. And what we mean when we say that is that you are not engaged in a meaningful, transformational, anti-racist practice if the extent of your involvement is is like consuming information through social media or dispersing said information through social media. So if the majority of your time is spent reposting or creating content based on something that you've learned or attempting to quote unquote, hold people accountable in the comment section of somebody else's post. That is actually not a transformational anti-racist practice. It is possibly many things, but it's, it's not that. And that's not to say that social media activism isn't worthy. We know that that this this is something different. Like we know that mobilizing people and using social media as a tool to get the word out and to talk about what's going on. Those things are very important actually to a lot of movements. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement started as an online, Mm -hmm. you know, hashtag. So clearly there is, there, there is meaning. It's, It's meaningful to have engagement and activism through social media. However, if that is all you're doing or the majority of what you're doing, it is not enough. Yeah. I think uh, the, the TLDR that I really want people to walk away with is that we are saying that the interwebs, Instagram, Facebook can be useful tools 
for getting information out there, for creating community and connecting to, you know, morally aligned, values aligned, human aligned people. But that is not actually your own personal journey. Like that is not the work of becoming the version of yourself that truly practices in an everyday way, anti-racism, anti-oppression. And it ends up being, if you make that like the thing that you do, it ends up being like a really, really, really slippery slope into really just continuing to perpetuate a lot of, you know, the harm and the conflict and all of the other things that that are really not useful or beneficial to you or to anybody else. And really keeping you in that performative yes. rung of like the scale, right? Where right. you are, you know, posting and sharing and commenting and really motivated by optics. Even if you're not, like that is what it will appear to be if there's not deeper work happening and it's easy to see where it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think inevitably that is just what it defaults to. If all you're doing is posting, reposting, liking, commenting, like it is the performance of, right? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but your IG performance of with the shit is not moving the needle. It's just not really not I like people and people have come for me for saying this. But if you are not a social media person, if social media overwhelms you, if you maybe are not even just like a wordsmith, you, you know, maybe you have also high we're humans. Maybe you have your own trauma. That means that anytime conflict or tension arises that you, you know, are incapable of truly showing up as the version of yourself that we need you to be in the movement. Cool. Get off the Internet. I don't care about you posting, you know, or arguing with people in the comments. What are you doing right. in your real day-to-day life? People come for you for that? Girl, listen. I need to chill out. I know. And I'm like, oh, fight me. Okay. Not literally. I don't like fighting people, but you know, the like colloquialism of like, right. I said what I said. Yeah. But yeah, no, people really have been like, you need to stop saying that. We need everybody on the internet. No, no. we don't. Also, hello, ableist. Like, there's a lot, there's mental health. There's a lot of like if folks who are neurodivergent, like there's a lot of other very legitimate reasons that people don't interact with the internet. That doesn't make somebody less of an accomplice or less committed to the work or less actionable or like devalue the work that they are doing or their commitments to the work just because they're not on the internet. I didn't post a single thing in February. Does that mean I'm all of a sudden not, you know, doing this work? Like, fuck out of here. Anyways, yes, people have come for me, but this is not about me. So back to what we were talking about. You know, I just, what what I will say there is like, it's about alignment, right? So if you are on social media all of the time, yes, people Mm -hmm. will notice if you mysteriously disappear from a critical conversation that you're being asked to participate in. But like, are you aligned? Are you saying you're about one thing in one place and then behaving a different way in another place? That is far more important to me. Yeah, exactly. Post every single thing. Yeah. Because I mean, even when I disappeared from the internet in IG, I was like, hi, y'all. I'm not IGing this month. You can find me in all of the other containers doing all of the other things still, right? So Again, though, that to that point, right? It is about alignment. Yeah. Because if you're still doing the thing, if you're still being the version of yourself that you 
have committed to being that is committed to anti-oppression work, then it doesn't matter whether you're posting on the internet or you're volunteering in these streets. Right. Are you, every single day, are you waking up and are you being that version of yourself when you have the opportunity to be, which is literally every moment of every day. And what's interesting to me, I get this question sometimes of like, oh, like if I don't, but if I don't post and people are going to wonder or they're going to think this and I'm like, yeah, but if that's what you're motivated by, then it's performative. Yeah. Right. The, the thing about not being performative is that you actually release yourself from like doing things because of somebody else's expectation, because that actually doesn't matter anymore because you know that you are in alignment with your behaviors. So it is, it's that motivation for the purpose of other people seeing you Yeah, that defines performative action. Yeah. I, I do want to throw in an asterisk because we both work with folks who have like followings that are fairly high profile. Um, and so if you're a listener and you're like, but I have a following, right? Or I have a platform and there's an expectation of me I, I, I will put the asterisks in it that for those of us that have any sort of following, even if you are a fucking food blogger, there is an expectation of you at least letting people know where you stand on issues. Yeah, I think I, that's a yeah, an yeah. important distinction. And I don't want people to be like, oh, cool. I never have to say anything there. Listen, no. if you have people looking to you for something you've carved out a lane for yourself and people are looking to you and they listen to your voice, you do have a social responsibility. You have a responsibility to your community. Your responsibility is not to educate, is not to position yourself as the expert, is not to say, look at me, I have it all figured out. But it is to say, hey, just to be clear, I live an anti-oppressive life. Like my methodologies, my beliefs, you know, like when we're seeing 160 something anti-trans bills coming out, You do have a social responsibility to even just say, this is fucking deplorable. Make sure you're calling all the right people and signing the petitions and letting, letting your elected officials know that this is not okay. That's all you have to say. Right. You, so, so I I wanted to throw that in there because I, what I recognize, and we can talk about this in a little bit. What I recognize is that a lot of people will be like, oh, because you said this. I'm going to jump to the binary and now I don't have to do any of this. No, there's right. a lot of nuance in this yeah, shit. But what I'm actually talking about when I'm working with clients is like th- th- this, it's, pro- you know, the posting is one part of like yes. a whole equity plan. So if you're right. working your whole plan, you don't have to worry about showing up online because it's clear where you stand in other areas. So exactly. Yes, exactly. But people like to, to the next point, just listen to the podcasts or read the books or follow all the people on the internet and consume and consume and consume and consume. And because that's all they're doing, they're perpetually like doing that. They end up honestly just being a whole hot mess of like, should I do this? And should I do this? And maybe I should do this. And oh, well, they said this, but that person said this. And like, you are just kind of all over the place at that point. So like, that is also not the work. Like next step, or like next point, constantly taking the like the base course, right? Constantly listening to, and, and just, let's be clear, only doing these things, the podcast, the free 30-day challenge, uh, you know, the, we love you in our podias and our Patreons. But if that's just for educational purposes, like straight up and down, like the equivalent of you showed up at your lecture hall in, at school, right? That's not the work. That's not it. 
work is inherently like actionable. Learning is like, it's, it's a different kind of action. Like it's, it's a little bit more passive. You can sit and consume and learn a whole lot, but if that learning is not then like resulting in some kind of different practice or behavior change, then it's, I don't want to say it's a waste, but like. Here's a perfect example. (laughs) I have never played basketball. Really? Like actually with my hands. I mean, you know, like pickup or like horse, but like truly playing the game Uh of basketball, like as a basketball player, like that wasn't my sport. That's not something I would have guessed. Right. Well, uh, this is the thing is like, I'll pick up anything and like play it, but like truly like playing the game to where like in a, in a constructive way where winning actually matters. (laughs) No, you know, I've played one-on-one or like with friends, just like kind of messing around, but I've never played basketball. However, I understand the game of basketball. When I watch it, I know exactly what's happening. Right. I am a, a big fan of like Mamba mentality, right? I can tell you about warrior's history and all sorts of things because I consume it. I'm around it, right? I have friends and family and, and ex-husbands who worked in, in sports. I can, I can do all that. But if you put me on a court and gave me a ball and you were like, cool, apply those things. I've never actually learned how to do that. Right. So I can, I've watched all the games. I, I love me a good 30 for 30. I watched the Jordan documentary. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. done all that. I've consumed all that. I've listened to the podcast. I listened to the homies talk about it, whatever. Don't put me on a court and expect me to win. I mean, I could defend because that, that I'm like, okay, I can understand that fundamentally. But if you're asking me to like game time decisions, right? Like understand plays where I'm supposed to be, you're going to lose. We're going to lose. And that's, that's okay. Like I accept that. I'm really good at other things. But I use that example because that is literally the same thing. Yeah. You can sit there and consume watch all the things and listen to all the things and do the documentaries and the podcast shit, even show up to all of me and Trudy's stuff and listen to every episode of this podcast. And if you have not actually entered into a space where somebody is going to say, come get on this court, feel the ball in your hands. Mm -hmm. This is what dribbling is. This is what this pace is. This is the awareness in the basketball IQ you have to have. Like, this is what it's like to have to make a game time split, you know, split second decision. You have the thinking, you have the understanding, you have the mechanics in your body. You're not going to be able to do it. You can study a game all day long. That doesn't mean you know how to play it. Right. And that is effectively, that is actually exactly what we're talking about. It's a whole lot of people who are studying the game of anti-oppression and anti-racism that have no idea how to play it. Period. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) End of it. No, Uh, we're done. No, no, we actually have more. (laughs) We're not done. We're not done. So I think that hopefully now is clear. (laughs) Learning is not the same as playing. That is not what the work looks like. It's also not being like a warrior, right? Like a, like a, Internet or in person, just like uh, the loudest person in the room, the person armed with some knowledge and now wants to hold everybody else accountable 
to what they have learned. It's not arguing in the comments or, you know, going back and forth and shaming people for not knowing something that you just learned five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am. Y'all can't see our faces, but we're that pause is because we literally just had this conversation. (laughs) Cause I'm going to say, I'm just going to say it, Trudy. Sometimes I know I look at my clients and don't worry. I, if this is you, I've already messaged you about it. So don't do the thing where you're like, she's talking about me. You know who you are. And that's okay, right? Because it's a learning moment. Sometimes, and I see this in the people that I work with even, is like a person who isn't as far along in their actual journey, right? They've started to do the work, but yeah. they're not as far along. Does a slightly cringeworthy thing. And like all of y'all react like that wasn't you a week ago. Right. Chill out. Because if if people who are even further along or educators should like, you know, send you the way that you just send that person or reacted to you the way you're reacting to that. Say, you might have to translate the sun. I, yes. <laughs> the sun reference. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> Belittled you and, 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 and made you feel small um, or tried to make you feel small you know, for not knowing a thing or for not being as far along in the journey, nobody would ever walk the path. No. And this is is an integration issue. This is something that so many people go through all of this an identity development thing. Yes. This is the same exact thing that I always talk about how when you learn or when you decide that you are a vegetarian or a vegan, all of a sudden, you cannot stop talking about it and you want everybody else to be and you want to tell everybody about how much better you feel and how much more you know and how much healthier you are and shame everybody else for eating yes. that burger. But Ew, you eat fish, you eat eggs. Oh my God. Right. But when you meet people who have been vegetarian or vegan for years, that it is a fully integrated part of their identity and practice, you almost never hear them talk about it like that. Mm-hmm. Never. Because it's, it's it's not a big deal about where you go to eat as long as you have made reasonable accommodations and, you know, practicing regular inclusivity and being mindful of your community. It's not a big deal. People will prepare ahead of time. People tend to, you know, like they, people pre- prepare for it. And it's part of who they are. It, it is yeah. no longer something that they have to like proclaim, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a this is a feature of identity development of, across many 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 kinds of axes: gender, identity, yeah. sexual orientation, um, race, like many 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 things. So this is this is just still you know it's part of your path, but don't get stuck. A lot of people get stuck there. That's the thing yeah. they don't integrate it, and so they get stuck there, and they're that person for a long time. Long time, exactly. And that's that's the thing is like think about that when you're like the you didn't know so. When you think about the people in your life, you're like, oh, I had no idea you were vegan or vegetarian or you didn't eat this or you um, you'll see this a lot with folks who are really faithful, but not like wildly in your face, weaponizing their religion. Right. Like something will happen. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, like I have a friend who was like doesn't eat comment came up about not eating pork. And of course, people are nosy. And it was like, well, why not? First of all, you're rude, <laughs> not your business. Right. But that person was willing to share and was like, oh, like I, I practice, you know, Islam. So I don't I don't eat pork. And I even I was like, well, damn, I've known you for like six years and like known this person, clearly not like intimate friends, you know, but it's like, oh, OK, like that comes up. You never would have known 
unless you're put in a situation where that person explicitly has to, you know, name it. This should be the same thing. You should move so seamlessly in the things that you learn and it should become such an authentic part of, of who you are and like the new fabric of who you are building yourself to be that people only find out when you're in like a very specific situation. And it's like, you know, you go to a restaurant and that restaurant only has pork. And the person's like, oh, well, I ate ahead of time because it's a person's birthday and I knew they wanted to go here. And I just, you know, it is what it is. Like it wasn't my birthday. So I knew they only had pork. So I'm just going to get a salad because I already ate. Like I'm good. And you're like, oh, wasn't wasn't centering myself. Exactly. Didn't center themselves. Didn't make it a thing. Right. Like to your point, prepared ahead of time. And is like sharing it in a way of just like, because people are curious, you know, and checking on you like, oh, are you good? Like, you don't, you don't want to order anything, but not in a way of like, let me flip over this table because now I cannot be accommodated. Right. Right. Or looking at other people now, like "Mm -hmm. y'all are all eating swine, filthy animals. Right. Like, (laughs) like, it's just like, it's the the belittling and, you know, and dehumanizing people for not being as far in the journey as you are or choosing, you know, another journey. We can disagree with people. We can Mm -hmm. like have fundamentally different views. We don't even have to like a person, right? Mm -hmm. But there is this element of like maintaining dignity and humanity and not letting ourselves fall apart. (laughs) Yeah. And losing our own sense of like, reason. Um, and it, it happens far too much. Yeah. It happens a lot. I see it a lot, a lot, especially again, in the comment sections of social media, or, you know, it's just like the folks who are consistently the loudest in the room or who just want to argue are really signaling that they still haven't integrated everything that they've learned, even if they are fighting, quote unquote, on the right side of the fight, right? If they're trying to take that that position, which we'll also get into that in a second. But- you know what's funny? We said this before. What's hilarious is always when they that person is protecting someone. Who, yeah. Who that the person they're protecting actually doesn't need me. They're just like, like, okay, it is what it is. I'm actually good. It's just a Tuesday around here, y'all. It, You're right. Just- and we say this all the time, like. This is, and this is why, again, right? Like you haven't integrated it yet. You haven't built it as all the things we're going to tell you about in a second, right? Of what the work actually is. You haven't actually done that and integrated it into who you are. So you can't even see that the person that you think you're writing for is like, I mean, I responded with a clown emoji and I'm good. Like I'm done. I moved on. Like now you're making it really uncomfortable for everybody and you're making it worse for me. Like, could you stop? Right. Cut it out. But I think that comes from also the next point is that folks are out here just following everybody willy nilly and accepting everything that is posted just because it looks pretty or it like low key sounds good. Yeah. Every course, every account. So I saw a tweet and this is, I literally feel like this. I saw a tweet that said Jada Pinkett Smith and P Diddy have mastered and I'm doing it right now, have mastered a cadence and, and vocal tone in the way that they pre- present information that makes it sound like everything that is coming out of their mouth is quality information, is impactful. And yet, half of the time, it makes no 
fucking sense. That's hilarious. that that is y'all on the internet. Y'all are just like, ooh, it looks good. It looks pretty, you know, or it sounds good, or there's some really big words that I don't really understand, or this person is a master orator. And so the way they present the information, you know, really draws me in. We see this with Dr. Umar Johnson all the time, like all these oh. hoteps out here, same thing. Y'all have gotten sucked up in the performance of all of this shit that it's like, you'll just, you're just riding off into the sunset with folks who are saying some wild shit. Crazy shit. Wild things. Wild things. And they wrong. Yeah. They be so wrong. And like, to be clear, because we're going to talk about binary thinking and teaching in a second. There's a difference between the binary thinking and teaching that's taught and then like literally just outright being incorrect and inaccurate or positioning opinion as fact. Thank you. (laughs) And that's what we're talking about. But again, because it's packaged and it's put in the, the, the kind of performance of all of the things y'all really be like, this is great. Have you followed this person? No, I don't follow that person because I use my brain and I listen to what they say. And I'm like, that math doesn't math. And not just listen to what they say, but listen to what they say and then compare it to their actions. And like also that and and receipts that people have, like, you know, just just we need to be a little bit more Mm -hmm. critiquing. Talcum X is a perfect example. Wait, what? <laughs> Sean King. Oh my God. That's his new name. I have yeah. not heard that expression. Oh, it's all over the internet. That is hilarious. Yes. After the most recent resurgence of black mamas coming out who have been, you know, on the receiving end of his nonsense and violence um, after the death of their children. That is that is a new nickname that has blown up all over the internet. Talcum X. I can't. I love it. But anyways, um, so that's also what the work is not. Just like walking off into the sunset because a thing sounds good, right? Like not vetting people, not building a discernment lens, blah, 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 which again, we'll talk about in a second. But then that leads us to binary thinking and teaching. So, Jude, I'll kick that one back to you. So... If of all of the things that we've just talked about, this might be the thing that gets me the most worked up is mm-hmm. this like this way of teaching and way of thinking that assumes that there's any one person out here who has actually solved how to create a world that is equitable and just. We ain't do it yet, folks. Let me just news flash in case you are unaware. We actually don't have a good model for how we have like perfected creating societies where there is no like oppression or misogyny or racism or like we don't have it. It doesn't exist. There's not a school in this country that is perfected equity. There's not a workplace in this country that has like actually perfected it. And, and the, the educators and practitioners out here who are, um, who are actually creating movements will tell you exactly what I just said, is that like, we actually don't know how to get here. Actually, one of my favorite people 
to read and listen to is Adrian Marie Brown. Mm-hmm. When Adrian Marie Brown talks about it is actually, she, she references it as science fiction. Mm-hmm. And what she says is that like science fiction is like this, like it's the creation, right? The imagining of a society that is just, and that we have a lot of creation left to do and that we haven't gotten there yet. So we're all practicing. That's why I'm consistently using this word practice. We have lots of theories. We have lots of models. We have lots of good practice that move us closer to that, Mm -hmm. that create, you know, systems and workplaces that might be more equitable than they once were or somewhere else, you know, or school systems or communities that are less harmful, but we have not gotten to a place where we're like, oh yeah, good. We got it. We actually know how to do this now. Right. Not a real thing. Right. So, all that to say that anyone out here who is giving blanket advice that is like, this is right and this is wrong, or this is how you create equity and this is how you don't, and this is how you, you know, this is the perfect roadmap for creating an equitable business or model or community or school. That's not how that works. Like, that's yeah. just. <laughs> That's why everybody who shows up in any of my classes, they ask me a question and they already know I'm going to say, well, it depends. Let's yeah. talk about the context. Right. That is literally I need more information. Answer. That is literally my answer for everything. It's like, let's talk about, let's talk about the potential solutions and all of the players and all of the stakeholders and all of the facts, and then come up with a solution that moves us closer to equitable practice and liberation. So anyone who's out here saying this is what you should do for sure and that you sh- or you should never do this or you should always do that. N- like just no. Yeah. That's, that's actually inequitable. That Yeah. Yeah. This is why I call it a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Cuz we know where we're starting and we know where we're trying to go and we can at every decision making point we can put into practice the knowledge that we have, we can apply it to make the best decisions that we can, we can yep. based on where we're at in that moment, what we know and where we want to go. Right. That's all we can do. And every single decision-making point is going to be different because also we have to be really mindful not to fall into the trap of the monolith because then that is reproducing whiteness. And so when we use that binary thinking, we're also inherently navigating the world as though groups or organizations or, you know, people's whatever kind of enclave that we're talking about are monolithic. And they're not. We know that that's not true. The other thing that I really want to name, because what I don't want, you know me, I'm always thinking about the like, what are people's Mm -hmm. voice of the system that's going to pop up and be like, but where's better than let's be clear, whiteness as a social construct is global. And so the only places that you are going to even think of, like, I get that question a lot. Like, well, if it's not America, where's better? Well, beats me because as far as I know, unless it's, oh my God, my brain is blinking right now. And all listeners are probably like screaming the name of the island, but unless it's the island, I believe it's an Aboriginal island where the indigenous folks of that place literally shoot at you with arrows. If you try to, to, you know, like come to shore. Outside of that, because global whiteness has not touched it yet, and we actually don't know very much because they're like, nah, y'all stay over there. Give us 50 feet. So we haven't been able to dissect them and study them like whiteness likes to do, right? Um, turn them into an anthropological experiment. 
you're not like you're not going to find somewhere that is quote unquote perfect or has figured it out because there's some element of that the oppressive systems that we see here they might look a little different right they might they might be a little bit more nuanced but they exist everywhere right. i think and to that point this is why we have to start we have to recognize that there are multiple paradigms at play at all times. Oh my gosh. And if we don't actually take that into account when we are teaching and when we are thinking, and even when we're teaching critical thinking around these things, then we are inherently, once again, reproducing whiteness. Yeah. We have to leave space for humanity, for nuance, for choice, for sovereignty, for multiple paradigms to be true at once, right? For multiplicities. We talk about this all the time. And so when you hear people saying, the only thing we know for sure is what does not work because it's been tested. Right. Exactly. That's it. So for like, or what is oppressive, right? Like certain laws in place, it has been dissected. There's empirical evidence to show like that for sure does not work. Yeah. It's been tried. We have evidence that don't work. That's all we know. I mean, what's interesting is like, you know, I'm in the process of writing this book and yeah. I'm like, you know, obviously it's a business book. I'm talking about capitalism in this book. And what is interesting, like this conversation around capitalism is, you know, there's so many people who are just like, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And like, you know, I'm not here to be like, yes, no, whatever. I, I unpack a lot of that in, in the book. You have to read it and find out. No, but, but, <laughs> but what is, what was revealed to me through the research process is that like, so many people want to throw it away, but ain't nobody got a real suggestion, good suggestion mm -hmm. for what to replace us with because every system out there has, there is no place that has a better economic system that is also absent of racism exactly. and stru like structural oppression. Like it just doesn't exist. So like, we know what we don't like, we know what doesn't work, but this, mm -hmm. but this like desire, even the desire to have a roadmap to get to equity is a function of whiteness. It's like, you want the yeah. plan. Like it, we're building it. We we're practicing it. We're when yeah. we need more people to do it so that we can get to better solutions. Yeah. I mean, and even the example of capitalism is the perfect example of the binary thinking Absolutely. and the ways in which we don't allow for multiple things to be true because capitalism, people come from me over this too. And I said what I said. Capitalism isn't the problem. All capitalism oh, means yeah. is that individuals own things privately and sell them for profit. It is a free market economy. That's what it means. And it means the political system protects that versus it being state or federally or government owned. That's all it means. But because the version of capitalism that we practice yes. in the United States and globally exists at, at the foundation, right? It, the inner, it intersects with all of the oppressive systems and all of the isms, because remember, the political system governs the economic system. Exactly. The it's political the system is inherently oppressive. Then that means our economic system is inherently oppressive. And, it, and it's that way because it's the people. It's people who are in charge of making exactly. these policies and practices. So at the end of the day, it comes down to the people. The, and those people, when originally creating the political and economic systems, did so to protect their interests and their interests were rooted in white supremacist oppressive ideologies, period. So when you're sitting here and you're like, burn it, like throw capitalism away. Uh, uh, uh. Is it capitalism you want to throw away? Or is it all of the other things around it that birth the version of capitalism that we currently know? Exactly. Right. So again, like there has to be 
more thinking to it. It's not just like, this doesn't work, trash it. And it's going to be something exactly, it's going to be the the direct opposite of what that is. Nah, I actually really enjoy capitalism because I have a different relationship to it and a different relationship to money and a different relationship to how I practice it. You teach a different relationship to it and a different way to practice it. So that's not the problem, but that's how it's being taught. That's how it's being taught. That's how it's being executed. That's how it's being yes. implemented that. And, and we reproduce it, right? Like we, for, for all, in all kinds of ways and all kinds of reasons. Right. But that is that desire to just know how to roll it out. Like to have, like, this is the one, two, three step. That's a function. That's a function of whiteness. Yeah. And so then I think what we also end up seeing is because people are doing all of this, quote unquote, as the work instead of what we're about to run through in a second, then they think that all all anti-racism or anti-oppression means is like diversify your feed, diversify your team, diversify your community. But the reality is because you haven't integrated this into your life and as an authentic and true practice, all you're doing is having really optically diverse communities and teams and feeds, but you're still just producing, reproducing, and introducing people into whiteness. Absolutely. We are so beyond any conversation around like diversity, y'all. I I don't even want to hear about it anymore. I'm over it. No, I don't care about your diversity. I really don't. Because the other thing, I feel I can feel The DM's coming as soon as I said this, say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. The other thing is that a lot of y'all are out here optically diversifying your teams and your following and your feed with folks who have the same binary white supremacist rooted thinking. And so it might look really good, but all the thinking is exactly the same. And so you haven't actually done anything to shift anything, not socially, not personally, not within your direct, you know, sphere of impact. And all you do, all you have is a whole bunch of marginalized folks running around you reproducing the exact same thinking that you yourself believe in. So, you know, just because you got Ben Carson on the team doesn't mean that anything is different. Like, let's be clear. No, no Condoleezza. No, no, no. So all of that being said, let's run through and, and, and I'm, I'm going to be annoying. Okay. We're going to tell y'all what the work is, but I say we just bullet point it out for them because we have something else coming for them. Okay. Yes. I don't want to give it all to them. I don't. Sorry, people. I know that's so annoying. It's like, I'm going to tell you what it is, but I'm not going to really tell you what it is. I mean, we won't tell I mean, we'll tell them, but we won't tell them. You know what I mean? (laughs) We're going to tell them, but we're not going to tell them. (laughs) You know, there's a difference. Okay, so what what is it? So the first thing that it is to me, and this is where, you know, and we, we talked about this on the last episode, where I've really been concentrating the work that I'm engaged in is around helping people build an equity lens so that they can apply it not just understand it, but mm-hmm. apply it and like interpret information and action and behave in ways and create in ways that put equity at the center, which inherently, if, if you do that, causes you to consider 
all kinds of dynamics around oppression, not just racial oppression and economic oppression, but also gender and how we reproduce these things through policy and practice and all different dimensions of identity, right? So building an equity lens helps you move through the world really as, to me, a fundamentally different person. Like if you allow it to really transform you, you're just different. You just see things different. You show up different. You make different decisions Mm -hmm. about you spend money differently. Like it really is. It's really a powerful model for applying for building an anti-racist practice because it's just, it's really meant to address like root issues. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not just, not just the optics, but really getting into like how we make decisions, how we build businesses, how we build systems, how we engage with community all the way through. Yeah. Asada Shakur says, you know, we have nothing to lose but our chains. And this is why I'm so stuck on discernment because they're invisible chains. We don't see them anymore. Right. Right. Like we are literally oppressed and bound by the system. And so how can you expect to liberate yourself from societal shackles or others from societal shackles if you can't see them. So that discernment lens, I know people are so tired of hearing us talk about equity lenses and discernment lenses, but it's because it is so crucial. As far as I'm concerned, it is the cornerstone of any anti-racism or anti-oppressive framework, transformational work. Like you cannot do this work without building a discernment or an equity lens. And if you're entering into spaces with anyone that is going to tell you otherwise. I'm not saying this, like not within the binary, but again, we know what works. We know that you have to be able to see a thing. There isn't one right way to build the discernment lens or the equity lens, but you have to acquire it, right? It's the same reason why we said like the, I don't see color movement of the eighties as a, as an anti-racism framework fundamentally doesn't work and fails and upholds whiteness. You cannot dismantle in yourself or in society or in others that which you cannot see. Period. Period. You can't build equitable practices. You can't build new processes, procedures, and standards of being and beliefs and, you know, your own individual thought processes and mindsets and then change your behavior accordingly if you can't even see the thing to begin with. Or if you haven't gotten to a place where you know that discernment is necessary and that there are going to be moments where maybe you just haven't learned enough or maybe you're not far enough on your journey. So your zo- the zoom on your discernment lens isn't quite as refined. But if somebody points it out to you, you at least have the wherewithal and the understanding in the context and framework to say, oh, I, I believe that that is true. I believe that there is something here that I am missing and I don't see. And now I know where to go to continue to develop this so that I can put this into practice in the future. Exactly. That willingness to like be wrong or to like be, to be open about your ignorance or unaware, you know, like that you are unaware of certain things. If people could get over that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a huge step in the right direction because people get so committed to rightness, like to mm-hmm. just being so right and feeling like, oh, I got it figured out that they, it's like, you're creating your own barriers. Like you were, you are just in your own way at that point. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and I think that obviously like what goes hand in hand with that is 
you have to be able to understand the context of the world that we live in to move through it. So how can you understand that context if you don't have an equity lens or a discernment lens? Like you have to be able to do those two things. Absolutely. It's almost like a chicken, the egg thing, but either way, they're both very important. Like the semantics of it, I'm not going to get into, you know, like, do you learn this when? No, you need both. You need to be able to understand the both both ends, right? You need to be able to understand the context. You need a discernment lens and an equity lens to be able to do so. You continue to develop those things as you understand context and see things like, so the two feed into each other. It is definitely a both and. So moving from that, what is the, what's the next, like, this is, is a really important aspect of the work? I think being engaged in the conversations around the world about the context of the world that we live in. So I know it can feel overwhelming to feel like you have to be sitting in front of a constant news cycle, but I do feel like it's important to have a pulse on what is happening in the world for example, what's happening in Cuba right now? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like what, what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movements? Like just knowing what is happening both locally, nationwide, globally, you know, what's happening in Palestine? Like, are you aware of the dynamics? Colombia, like, yeah. Colombia, yeah. Like what, all of these. And, and again, it's not that you have to be an expert and know like all of the things because it could be overwhelming yeah. Intense, really sad. And there is something when you are keyed in, when you're willing to kind of take in the information, you start to see patterns and you start to see like commonalities between what's happening in other countries and what's happening here. And it just is, it's a little humbling because for many of us, we are taught that we live in a place that is so free and liberated and like, you know, not as corrupt as, you know, other places. And then you start to kind of understand what's happening and you're like, Ooh, maybe it's not all like, that. <laughs> like maybe there's more going on here that I didn't understand before. And you start to see how patterns of abuse and, and like abuse of power happen. And I think that is a critical I think that's a critical part of the work, just to be aware. Not that you have to feel like you have to fight every single fight, but it helps you be a better advocate for the causes and the the fights that you do engage in. Because you're just more, you're more versed. You're more keyed in. These are global issues. These are not, you know, what's happening in our local communities is happening all over the world. Like in just, you know, just looks a little different, but having that context of the world that we live in really helps you be a better ally, a better activist, a better accomplice for racial justice, for anti-racism, for all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we got to be willing to take in this information and hear what's happening. I don't really have anything to add. That was very well said. <laughs> that was great. I'm going to move on to my next point. <laughs> I mean, wait, before, before we move on though, I do think it's like, you are someone who is very keyed in. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to wash over the emotional toll that that does take. You yeah. know what I mean? And like the commitment, yeah. like what that actually means. Like, 
how do you do, do you have anything that you can just like name so that people feel like it's not as in, like this impossible? Yeah. So I think uh, what's really, really important to remember is feeling the need to know every single detail, every single critical detail about every single thing is actually your whiteness in action. And, and I say whiteness as a, as a structural thing, right? Like, so everybody is, is capable of doing this. You needing to do that is only because you need to convince yourself or you need to make sure you know all the things for it to be legitimized. So a lot of this goes back into building that equity lens and understanding, right? Like whiteness is global. And that if a people are saying we are oppressed and we are being hurt, that you believe them, you center those closest to the pain, right? I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry at all. I choose to believe Palestinians. Granted, there's a lot of evidence to prove that we should, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't need to know every single historical detail to know that Palestinians are currently being oppressed. Right. Right. I don't need to know every single historical detail of Colombia to know that Colombians are currently at war with their own government and are being oppressed. I don't need to know every single history of the Philippines and every single way in which, you know, the social and political climate has bubbled to the point that it's at to know that people are being oppressed. I know that this is a thing because I have a discernment and an equity lens. And the unfortunate reality is that it looks the same in every single place. It's just that the players of the game are different, but the game hasn't changed. The rules don't change. The the way it's played doesn't change. The, you know, the optics of it are different. The peoples might be different. The, The way that they got there might be a little different, but it's all still fundamentally oppressive systems. There are people that are not living a liberated, equitable life that honors their humanity and their ability to just be left the fuck alone. Yeah. And if if y'all feel like you don't just a quick run through, like control the land, control the resources, control the government, control the money. If you haven't been paying attention. Yes. And then, you know, control the people through politics, control the people, control the narrative, control the narrative, control the media, control the institutions. That's That's it. That's how it works. y'all. That's literally how it works everywhere. So because I've already done my work and it's integrated into me, right? Like fully, I can read the news and of course, not, not in a way that like it doesn't hurt your heart, but in a way that doesn't require me then to, I go down research rabbit holes for listeners who've been listening for a long time because I enjoy it. Like I, I love it. I love the information. I love the history. I love the politics. Like I truly enjoy it. Not because I need to. Right. Right. And if you are a person that gets very overwhelmed, whether it's emotionally or whether it's because this is a new practice to you, this is why it's so important. Refer back to our point earlier of not just following any old body on the internet, right? The work is vetting your people, knowing who's giving you information. This is why Nan started a newsletter to provide informed, vetted news that broke down to you all of the realities of what's happening globally every single week so that you could also remove, you know, like I don't fall into the doom scrolling trap. I don't need to. I don't need to read the same article about a humanitarian crisis from 17 different news outlets to know what happened. 
right. or what's happening, right? I can read one, maybe two, but I also, again, have the discernment lens to know when I'm reading something, did Fox News write it, right? Did a conservative outlet write it? What's their intention in writing it? Or is this really journalism? Are they really just trying to provide information? So it, and, and I recognize it's like, but Lee, that sounds so simple. It's not simple, but I have done my own work and I have, you know, and I practice what I teach in my own life on a day-to-day basis. And that enables me to do these things with ease. You know what, like, just occurred to me, like, if people had that simple framework for just like, okay, who, as you're, as you're looking into things and you like ask yourself these questions around like, who controls the land, who controls the money, who controls the narrative. If people were in a practice of that, we wouldn't have QAnon. Like you couldn't, couldn't, no, seriously though, because you, you can't, like, if, if you uphold these conspiracy theories against this, like, framework of like how oppression happens and who holds power like it doesn't hold up you're like oh that's it can't it can't be real yeah 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 yes i mean i people would make up you know other stories but you know just for most people for most people it would be easy to not fall in it would be easier to not fall into that if you had yeah, yeah. these checks if you had that discernment to be like yeah. wait who who's in control of this narrative yep. who's in who has Who's controlling this? Who benefits from it being told in this way? Right. The way the language that's being used and right, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, but it does, it 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 takes a toll on you. And so it's also a practice of knowing that like if you unplug or if you step away for like 10 minutes or a day or a week, oppression's still gonna be there. You can pick it right back up when you come back. Just just something to remember. You know, uh, people forget that. I mean, and we've done that, you know, social media breaks and having to step away and having to be like, you know what, this crisis right here, I actually can't yeah. talk about. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. have it in me. I, I don't, I literally don't. Or I'm offline supporting folks who are directly impacted by that crisis or my own family or right. whatever. So like holler at you later. Yeah. And that's okay. Exactly. All right. Let's get through the rest of these. I think the next one that's really important actually in all of that, and this goes, I think, again, it all comes back to discernment, right? And like it being an integrated practice is that the work is also understanding that there is a distinction between critiquing people's behaviors and beliefs and, you know, politics and policies versus people's humanity. I can come at people all day long for what they practice and what they preach and what they believe and how they treat people, what their behavior models are without fundamentally destroying or coming for somebody's humanity. Because those are two different things at the base. I, I will give you humanity because that is what I expect in return. Right. So that's being in right relationship with just the collective humans. Yeah. Humans. But I can do that and still hold the line very clearly and be very passionate and right, like very, very convicted when I'm challenging behavior, beliefs, you know, practices, so on and so forth. Yep. But people haven't built the lens and haven't learned the practices and haven't integrated it. So they can't separate people's humanity from those belief systems. Yeah. That one is really important and really leads us also to this other thing that is about being in relationship with people and like kind of realizing that we need to have, 
we, in order to be in relationship with people, we really have to see them as humans, as people, and that we need to be able to have deep enough relationships that we can have, that we have the ability to hold each other accountable and have trust there. Mm-hmm. What, you know, one of, I had this beautiful thing happen in a mastermind I was telling you earlier where one of our students who is one of our clients who is a black woman said to a white woman in our, who's also in the mastermind. And because they were in the mastermind together for almost a year, they were able to have this conversation. And she said, you know, I don't want to be friends with a white woman, or I don't want to be in a work, a business relationship with a white woman who can't hold me accountable Mm -hmm. because I'm a black woman. And she, the white woman thinks that somehow she's centering whiteness. If she, you know, critiques me or tells me my idea was bad or tell, you know, or, or, you know, disagrees with me in some way. Like we have to still be able to disagree with each other and see each other as people and not be feeling like, Oh, I can't say anything. Like I can't, I can't even talk like that. I see that dynamic at play so often and like learning how to be in relationship with people and learning how to see people's humanity is actually the thing that's going to move us forward not going to be like going off on people all the time and, you know, cutting people off and never talking to them again and trying to throw people in the trash and, you know, like, it's not, that's not how change happens. I've done enough work and I'm so glad that we're in a place where we're starting to bring people together again, Mm -hmm. like having Mm -hmm. retreats, doing things in person, because I've done so much like in-person facilitation and seen and have like watched people go through a process of like connecting people who have very different views, but like connecting at a human level and then ultimately starting to see the other side that work takes so much trust and time and willingness to like go through a process that you can never go through. If you storm into a room cussing people out. (laughs) And sometimes you got to cuss people out. Right. But we also need it. Like if we can center relationships more, Mm -hmm. we, this work would be easier for those of us who are trying to facilitate it. Yeah. Because right relationship with an equity discernment lens with a context of the world allows you to hold identity privilege and have somebody who is oppressed Right on, it holds an uh, oppressed identity in right in opposition to your privileged identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it allows you to be co- like to for them to name the thing, right? Conversely, so it's like if I have like I have identity privileges like a cis het woman, so that means that like the folks that I am in right relationship with that are queer and are trans and non-binary can always. I mean, thankfully we haven't had to, but. But they can say like, mm, hey, your cis, like the cisness is showing. And some of them hold white identity, right? So they're privileged in that way. Right. But understanding like one, the identity politics and all the other things is really important. But because we're in right relationship, because humanity and relationship is at the center of what we do, you can have accountability on a base human level. And then you can have accountability on a societal identity level. Right. Again, the paradigms, those paradigms have to exist at the same time. But you need 
the discernment lens. You need the context of the world. You need the equity lens. You need the integration. You need the understanding of actionability and how to be actionable to be able to enter into that type of relationship. Right. Period. And then the last thing is, so how do we do that? (laughs) Man. (laughs) I mean, well, TLDR is actually step into learning containers that are intentionally meant to move you through a process and that is like facilitated and taught by a very important skilled coach and educator and facilitators and guides who actually do this work. Not people that do the work adjacent, not the people who want to do a 30-day challenge because they read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Kendi and now they think that they've got it all figured out. Like, People who really do this and understand not just this work and the systems and the framework and the practices and all of that, but actually have a skill set, have the skill set required to move you through a process and transform you. Those two things are very important. Can I be petty? Do it. I'm not often petty. I'm not often. (laughs) But y'all. If the extent of someone's education and experience happens to be an online certificate from like Cornell, that is not enough. (laughs) Like that is not, I just, I just had to say it. I mean, we've also said this before, holding a I mean, there are people who have taken that certificate who also have other experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I am talking about is someone who has never done any of the work before. Mm -hmm who takes a certificate program Mm -hmm. that is a theory based program. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm Y'all like, I want you to understand this, (laughs) whatever university, whatever fancy, fancy university. I don't care. I don't care if it's Phoenix, the university of Phoenix, Harvard. I don't give a shit. Like it's, if you haven't gotten your hands dirty mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. in person and sat in the shit and had people say racist remarks yep. in front of rooms, and not and you haven't had to remove them your plan yep. and move it and and actually for for long not just for a workshop but yeah. for long yep. periods of time yep. then that's not the work yep that is not i can't yep. i can't str- I, can i, I can't add str- on also Please. because we've said this before okay. but it needs to be said Y'all also need to realize that holding either holding a marginalized identity and or holding a theoretical degree in something does not a facilitator, coach, or educator make. No, there are y'all, and and if and here's the thing: like you are missing out on masterful support. And I'm not just saying it because Weez and I do this. I'm I'm talking about all of my colleagues, yeah, and collaborators and people that I've worked with over the years who are masterful coaches and facilitators, but don't have like, uh, however many thousands of followers on Instagram Mm -hmm. who are actually like highly trained and skilled at moving people. Like you are missing out on fucking magic. Like I'm telling you, I'm, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting, I'm getting hot. You're missing. You are. I mean, no, that's it. You are missing out on magic. You're missing out on the opportunity to become the version of yourself that you say that you want to be. You're missing out on the opportunity to truly become the version of yourself that you've imagined that you could be. The liberated version of yourself. Yeah, that's actually exactly. And then being mad when people are like, 
Is that Poochie? <laughs> I mean, and we, I, I have, you know, I have to say it because we have to talk about it because over the last 24 months, like the commodification and like the, of, and the exploitation of DEI and anti-racism work, which is a whole other episode. I was going to say, another episode has just, just been born. Like just exactly. Like it is so, people have hopped on this, tra- all people of all kinds of backgrounds yeah. have hopped on this train because it has been very profitable for some people. Mm-hmm. And super marketable mm-hmm. and like the hot thing of the moment, right? And you think you're getting the educate like quality education, and you're not. Mm-hmm. There are people who have been doing this work for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like ask ask those questions. <laughs> just just do that. What were you doing before May 2020? Oh my God. Ask that. At a minimum. If nothing else, ask that question. Ask that question. I think it's a valid question. The same way everyone wants to ask me, you know what? We're going to save this for the, stay tuned for the episode on the commodification of the work. Because uh, there's yes, like we'll a whole other hour in me on this. right here. Right. Yes. So all of that being said. Um, that's not how that works. Right. <laughs> all of that being said, this is, this is our rundown of what it's not what it is. Um, and in true Trudy and Wee's fashion, we are not going to leave you hanging. There is, we got a little nugget. We got a little surprise for y'all. So make sure that you are listening to all of our next episodes. Make sure that you are following us on Instagram. Make sure that you are subscribed to our newsletters. And that's wait, do we have a newsletter? Say for hours. You have one. I have one. Hours, yes. That's what that's what we mean here. Our yes. newsletter. Our Trudy. newsletter. Like be go go to Trudy's website and subscribe. Go to my website and subscribe if you are not already. Um, and you will find out about things. All of the things. All of the things. And, and you're welcome them. in advance. Yes. <laughs> um <laughs> all right. That's all I got. All right, y'all. See ya. Toodaloo. Thank y'all for listening to this episode of That's Not How That Works. To become part of our community and to continue the conversation, please join us in the Facebook group. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and if you have a moment, leave a written review because it'll help people find us. Until next time, this is Trudy. And I'm Weez. And we out.